What's going on, everybody? I'm here today live with another episode of Make America Debate Again. I'm here with Ali uh, or Ali Alexander. I follow him on Twitter and he's always breaking the matrix and going against the narrative. And I like that, seeing some creativity and diversity on, on the right as well. According to Ali's Twitter, he does politics, philosophy, and public relations. I don't want to say according to, because that's what Fox News did to me. Yeah. Like self, self-proclaimed. It's like, no, that's what I do. I'm just, <laughs> I don't want to catch myself in, my, in the own thing I was complaining about. says he made a new film on Ilhan Omar. Uh, he's on a team suing the extremist SPLC group, and he's assisting the Covington kids in that awful media uh, fumble. So Ali, thank you for joining me, and you can describe yourself as well. Now I've been I've been looking forward to this. I've been a little uh, jelly. I'm watching people come on your live stream, and I like that people can get on here and you know say whatever and kind of explore things. and And uh, so I'm looking forward to a, a very uh, thorough conversation. But you know, for me, I've been involved in GOP politics and conservative politics for 12 years now. But since Trump's election, I felt like this need to tell this populist MAGA base that wasn't really informed on the system, like how the system works, you know, what a whip count was, what Mitch McConnell and Republicans would do to subvert uh, Trump's agenda or what uh, Democrats could do to obstruct the agenda. I warned about the midterms and was right about that. And so, uh, you know, shrinking house uh, expanded Senate. So, you know, I I kind of enjoyed two years of, of being me, me. And then, you know, last year with with Kanye doing what he did, it really it really kind of emboldened my work because, uh, you know, he's a he's a Periscope viewer and he's a learner of a lot of people's uh, work. And um, I think I think this is the future. I think what you're doing is the future. I think what I'm doing is the future. And so, like, I'm bullish on on this whole, you know, influencer space, this free thinking space. And so I've kind of ditched my career to be on YouTube occasionally. <laughs> That's awesome. It's worked out in the last two years. You've really been yeah. getting out there. And like I said, what I like to I like to see people go against the narrative. I just like creativity, you know, truth, wisdom, humor. I like when people make hilarious jokes, even if it has nothing to do with politics. But I wanted to talk about what you were saying with uh, you have uh, over a decade of experience with GOP politics. And I'm very, very new to not only politics. I did music and talked about it, but I didn't understand economics at all. And I just stayed mm -hmm. out of it. So you tell me a little bit of what you've done. Like, tell me about the game of that. Like, what have you seen change? And also what, what wisdom or knowledge do you have to share from having that much experience, like deep in politics? I'd say I've, I've seen everything change. I, I think um, right now, I think I'm on my third cycle. I tell people I'm probably less intelligent than, than people uh, uh, give me credit for, but the the thing the two things that I say I have going for me is I've got a memory like an elephant and you know I just have a pattern recognition program in my head that that you know seems to run ahead of most of my friends and so what I tell people on is that I'm on my third cycle of watching politics there was the cycle I got into you know, 2006 2007 then there was the Tea Party cycle and then that seemed to either that really I don't know if it died in 2014, but sometime between 2012 and, and 2016, it died. And then now we're in the Trump cycle. But which is really interesting is that both of them have have their peaks. Both of them have these characters uh, that that seem to play similar roles. And so I'm just tracking it. And I, what I like about getting older is that is that you have another 
uh, cyclical uh, whatever to to kind of to track. So in instead of during the Tea Party movement, where I was like, oh, this looks similar to this, and then like, oh, I'm a good guesser. Now I've got three uh, three things that I'm measuring, and and when they're the same, I know to run for it. So in the case of the Covington boys, um, you know, uh, before it was clear that they were going to be exonerated. Um, there were a couple of things that I saw that I said, oh, this is like this, which is like this. And, you know, um, I had some friends. I was, I was in L.A. right before the Blexit event. And I call up C.J. Pearson. Like, I'm sitting there and I'm sitting with my team. And my team is, like, waiting for me to make a decision. And I said, we're going to lean into it. And I call C.J. Pearson, who, yeah, a young black kid who had been wrong on the issue and had attacked these kids. And I, I called him and I said, we're going opposite route. We're, you know, against Ben Shapiro, against National Review, against international media. I said, we're going to go exonerate these kids. I said, I know they're innocent. And he's like, all right, Ollie, roll tide. And so I got on Periscope and there's something like 70,000 people end up watching the Periscope of me on the back porch of my friend's studio. And, and I just leaned into it. So what I will say is, is like, I've watched the whole game change. And what I will say is, the most kind of comforting thing for me is, is the Tea Party movement saved the world, I believe. And, and that was because before then, people have to understand is, is our language, even on the right, was different. So it's not about beating the left most times. It is actually the opposite. It's, it's, it's usually about taking care of your family. So when people were like, I don't like infighting, I'm like, infighting is necessary. Or when mm. people were like, um, don't preach to the choir, I'm like, that's the only people I'm preaching to. And so like, you know, I do want to convert people, but I got to edify my people first. Like Paul writes in the Bible, the purpose of the church is to edify the saints. And so, you know, I'll give you two examples and then I'll shut up. But like the Second Amendment, we used to say on the right that that was about uh, tradition and being a sportsman and all this BS. And now since the Tea Party, we're able to finally say it's about a defense of, uh, uh, of a potentially tyrannical government. And you, you have to understand for decades and decades and decades since the civil rights movement after that it had been outlawed, socially outlawed. You could not say that without being called a whack job. And then secondly, with taxes is the Republican Party had kind of been the party of, of slow taxation. And the Tea Party said, uh, no, what's this debt ceiling thing, dude? And so because of that, we stopped passing budgets, which I don't think is good. And we started passing what's called CRs continuing resolutions. And they did actually save us money. It's a bad way to govern a people, but it did save us money. And then, uh, you know, we had several other things that forced Obama to save the federal government money. So I'd say the Tea Party changed the world. And now Trump is doing that in a way bigger, broader way. And people don't understand. It, it does fundamentally transform our language, which transforms our actions. And nothing's ever going to be the same. That's awesome. A lot to unpack there. You're really unique. And now that I see the, you know, how your your mind's rolling, that's really what yeah. the right's been missing for a long time is messaging and branding. And I guess the Tea Party movement missed me. I saw it a little bit, but like you said, they started changing the language. I like how you said that, because that's a lot of it. I always say with rap, you know, rappers love guns, most of them, and uh, rappers yeah. don't like taxes. So with, with Second Amendment, like guns and also free speech. Like, I don't think Eminem wants to be censored off Spotify for saying like, I don't even want to say it because I, you know, but you know, the yeah. F word, it's not yeah. even the real F. That's, that's the one thing I like about uh, Owen Benjamin. He'll, 
He'll say stuff. People are like, why did you say that? But it'll be like, I don't want to lose another word. Now I'm not even saying the word. The F word isn't, you know, like F U C K, but it's like F A G G O T where I, it's like, yeah. how many words am I going to lose where I'm just like, yeah. you know, what, I'm going to put this on Spotify. So hopefully younger kids could listen to it. That's why I center myself, not out of fear for them, but it's like, sheesh, man, you can't, can't even do that. Um, I want to get into, I guess, like, what type of stuff did you do for the GOP and the Tea Party movement? Because I know you you love the Tea Party movement. And now I'm kind of going back in time. It's kind of like listening to an old rapper. <laughs> I'm listening yeah. to like An Andrew Breitbart YouTube videos, like trying to figure out yeah. what I was missing. And then I'm like, oh, yeah, wow. He, yeah, that's no, I, I figured that. And it, I was listening yeah. to one on MSNBC. And I'm like, wow, he really saw this a decade ago um, before I was even paying attention. Yeah, I um so I've worked on over a hundred campaigns. So I I'm the thing that separates me from most of our friends in the space is I like I don't I don't comment on politics even though that's what it looks like I I'm doing. I'm offering analysis because I've worked on campaigns. So I I mean I worked on John McCain's presidential campaign. Um, you know, uh Christine O'Donnell, uh, the woman who said I'm not a witch. Um uh you know, a number of other like, you know, high profile races, low profile races. I love the grassroots. So I love and I'm addicted to losing. And so I've, I've it's kind of weird because like everyone at the RNC knows me. Everyone on the Hill knows me, but they know what team I'm fighting for, which is the these bastard insurgents that are rush, rushing the gate. But but I also do it in a respectful way. I'm not going to like go loomer somebody, you know, and I'm not going to, you know, whatever. Like we can talk or, you know. When I'm when I'm on Capitol Hill, all these staffers come up to me like, "Keep up the fight, Ollie." It's like a whisper, you know. And I'm busy like calling their bosses out, so it's like this really, really weird uh, position I've been in. But in 2009, I was able to be one of the co-founders of the Tea Party movement. So about 36 of us got on a conference call, and uh, we were like, you know, we've got to start organizing something more substantive. And Rick Santelli's rant on CNBC really emboldened us. And then the main guy, a good friend of mine back in the day, Eric Odom, was organizing that Chicago Tea Party. So it was kind of cool. There was one Tea Party, then there were three, and then there were 81 in April uh, 15th of 2009. And we brought out one, I think it was 1.8 million people. And so it was technically the largest. I'm trying to think if it was the largest or second largest. I can't remember if there was a Vietnam protest that, that beat us out or not, but it was either the largest or second largest, most successful protest in American history. And now it goes behind the Women's March and I think one other. So now it's the fourth most. But but it was really interesting because I was like, my activist role was peaking, right? This thing that I do for free, but I had 30 clients and I just could not sustain both in 2010. So in May of 2010, I had to shut down my business work for just two candidates because my activist side had to be fulfilled. And I've always been called to this business thinking I was going to get in for three, three years, do a little bit of design and development and, and then get out. And I just never can get out because what I, what happens with someone like me, um, I'm blunt, I'm a truth teller, but the reason why I don't get blacklisted is because I'm actually capable of, of skills. And then and what networking. Do you do exactly, like uh, everything, like marketing, <laughs> campaign organizing. Like what? What exactly did you do? For yeah. So what happens is like you work your way up the ladder. So I, I originally got my start doing web design only, you know, 
And I've left my mark on that industry. Like when I was in the industry, there were literally 13 people on the Republican side doing what was then called online media. Then it went to new media. And now it's just called this ominous digital. Well, now there's over 3,500 people doing what me and my friends created. And I don't like to call myself a pioneer, even though I was one, because there were people who were doing the work before me starting in like 2004, 2003. And I wasn't around until 2006 or seven. And really what they did was so fundamental that, that I like to pay homage to that. But, but, you know, the reason why you see petitions, like when you ever, you see a petition on a candidate's uh, website and they're side by side, I'm the guy who, uh, who, who, I don't want to say invented. I'm the guy who came up with, with that method. It used to be petitions would be this long and then you'd sign at the end. But because I had a design background before politics, I was like, well, we can increase our conversion rates by putting them side by side our zealots are instantly going to sign them and then other people are going to read them, but it has less scroll. And so I'm the guy who invented that. Uh, our, we used to use a proprietary system that uh, was whatever. And I was like, well, why aren't we using an open source system like, like WordPress? And so the reason why most political sites are now on WordPress uh, is because of me. And then there's a number of other things that I changed in the industry. So I actually started out doing digital and then I was doing my, I was just spouting myself off on MySpace and Twitter. I was very big on MySpace. And uh, then, then Twitter came along and I started piling everyone in. So it was like me, a guy named Michael Turk, John Henke, and David All, and then a little bit of Patrick Ruffini. We were the Republican consultants that got all of the Republican conference on. And when the Republican conference got on, then the press got on. And the Democrats stayed behind until 2012. And so like Republicans had always outnumbered Democrats on Twitter. And that's why like, like people like you who are getting into it now, like you guys can see that Twitter leans right. But like the reason nobody understands why, and it's because we've always outnumbered them. So we, we built an infrastructure knowing that we were losing everywhere else. We were losing on Facebook back then. Now Facebook's gotten older. And so it's become more conservative, but you have to understand we were in the wilderness. We just had to imagine this stuff. And so anyway, the Tea Party comes along and then I start organizing and then I just become known. So I had been to so many Republican national conventions now. I've been to three of those and two Democrat national conventions that I started saying, well, why don't I start working with traditional press? Why don't I do the opposite? Instead of like leaning into new media and there's all these kids piling into my business, why don't I actually lean old? And so then I started doing conferences for the RNC and all kinds of strategic communications, press releases, um, you know, pitches, profile pieces, like, you know, I've been able to work with press. And so then I had that under my belt. So I was doing new media, um, which had evolved from web design and social media to web design, social media, email marketing, um, um, online fundraising, um, and uh, blogger relations. That was something that I pioneered. There's still only four of us who do that work uh, on the right. And uh, maybe no one on the left. We really pioneered it. And so it was just kind of weird. Then I started finding myself in public battle. So I, I'm in this weird, weird space where I'm a legitimate GOP operative. I'm a conservative activist. People confuse the Republican Party for the conservative movement. And they're two separate, well-funded, two separate, separate, well-funded things. And then, but I'm this free thinker who craves philosophy outside of politics. and so. So like, it's just kind of weird. Like if, if, if you're with me at the Republican National Convention, you'll watch all these old ladies come up to me and hug me because I've worked in 30 something states. So every county 
you know, not every county party in the country knows me, but a lot of county party chairs know me, district chairs. You know, I'm friends with a lot of sitting RNC members. Uh, and then the Tea Party activists, you know, they'll come up to me and like, we'll talk about the old days of organizing or, you know, the CPAC staff, the ACU staff. And, and just, you know, it's, it's, I just like, I fit this hodgepodge of things because, you know, I've got no kids. I've got no, <laughs> no partner. I just, I've dedicated, when you think about it, 12 years, you know, times 15 hours a day and like three vacations in 12 years. It makes sense, I guess. I was like, why do I know everybody? It's because, well, this is why I've made myself pretty available. So I don't, I forgot what your question was, but like, what no, do I do now? That's what do it, I do yeah. now? Yeah. But also, I, I just want to say real quick too. So you did digital marketing. You started when it was just web design. You innovated yeah. on the digital marketing side where people probably had no idea. Even now, they don't barely know they what they're doing it. with the new stuff. So I could imagine 10 years ago, you know, you bringing that energy helped a lot and you have that energy now. So I see, as Kanye or Trump would say, a dragon energy of sorts where if you got yeah. it, man, and you go hard and you love stuff, you can really get into every aspect. So some people now just including myself, I, I'd follow you. So I see some stuff you say, but I know that you're, you know, out there questioning the narrative, questioning people and getting a lot of balls rolling, whether people agree or not. It's like, you're not, it's not the same six things on loop with you, which is yeah. like some people where I'm not saying every, everyone's got their own thing. Some people are funny, but I'm, I was like, man, he's really questioning the narrative. So it comes from a place of you, you've been changing the game on the GOP side and that's your, that's been your team where it's like you've worked for establishment people like McCain, but your heart was in the grassroots and uh, activist side. And you're like, some was just work. And it seems like your, your passion drives you. It's good to know. And also, uh, yeah, I wanted to, to unpack that a little bit. Um, yeah, that's dope. And uh, yeah, continue. Now, I, I, I tell everybody like, you know, I have this mentoring group of, of guys in their like mid twenties to thirties and, and I'm 33, but I, uh, I tell them like, you know, I don't, I don't suffer from addiction. And I think that that's just a thing in, in people's, I think it's a, a gene, you know, it's, it's, a, it's some predisposition in people's brain. And, and really, I'm going to be honest, you see it in Glenn Beck. He's an alcoholic. And, you know, <laughs> alcoholism is a disease, but you, know, you never cure yourself of it. You just have it. And what you notice about alcoholics, the same thing you notice about people who smoke cigarettes is then they go to the gum. Well, this is back in the day. I don't know if people still do that. But then they like obsessed with the gum. And so what happens is that addiction is more about, it's not just physical patterns. It is a pathology that forms in your head um, and it is a predisposition, just like um, pathological lying. The person can't control their need to lie. They can control lying, but not their need to lie. And so they're inherently, you know, it's just like statistics they're going to lie more than the average person. And it's funny because like my mom was in psychology before she was in law. And so I look at everyone as like a, a series of patterns, like, like even observing you, like I observe someone, then I observe who they like, I observe who they don't like, I observe their patterns, I look for the flaw, and then I engage with them. And then like, and I'm just like, I'm just like A-B testing everyone all the time. You're like, maybe a cy you're like a cyborg. You just, you just focus in on the target and, and hone in. <laughs> Jesse, my creative director at Culture, he calls me AI and on the <laughs> conference calls. And so it's a little embarrassing, but I, yeah, I like, but what's funny is I say the, the best advice I give like these young guys is obsess. Don't become addicted, but obsess and understand the difference with them. I knowingly choose 
to work my ass off, you know? And I knowingly choose to get on the edge and burn myself, knowing that I can remake myself every time I die. And when you know that, it's, 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 it's the ultimate liberation, you know? Like, I believe I'm a child of God, and I believe I'm insanely curious and rebellious, and I don't follow the rules. And so, like, I just don't, like, I've been burnt so many times, like, all these careers over. I'm like, it's not over till I say it's over, you know? Like, as long as I can be useful, and I'm not leaning on commentary and being a pundit, then no one can end me because I'm still the guy who can raise money. I'm still the guy who can go in between the donor class and the grassroots. I'm still the guy who knows which congressman on what committee to call to get something killed. I'm still the guy who got Soledad O'Brien fired from CNN. I'm still the guy who has like, you know, this history, this, this, uh, I call it a uh, institutional knowledge, you know, of how the party works. So it's like, as long as you make yourself useful, you can obsess and then you can play with the edges and the fringes and nobody can defeat you. They can kill you a thousand times and you can just choose when you come back. And, you know, I'm usually dead for a day or two. Like Huffington Post and ADL called me an anti-Semite. And I was like, y'all's biggest mistake, one was that Jack Dorsey, they did it to make Jack Dorsey dis distance himself from me. And, and he knows I'm not an anti-Semite. Um, and he knows it for a fact. And, and uh, you know, because of, of, not only conversations we've had, but mutual friends we have. And so, so one, they tried to gaslight Jack Dorsey in a Huffington Post article calling me an anti-Semite. And then ADL came out, uh, out and said, he has a history of anti-Semitism. I was like, no, I don't. It's actually the opposite. I am a Zionist and I'm not even Jewish. And, and, then, and then what happened uh, like a week later, four days later, is the Covington Boys situation happened. So I knew... Okay, I can lean into this. I don't have to go kiss somebody's ass to say, I'm not this, I'm not that. So ironically, I'm called anti-this, and then I go and defend white people. And then everyone's like, Ali's our guy. And it's like, people, I don't know. I just, I, I think it's funny because it's like, once you see the pattern, you can't unsee it, man. And it is the matrix. Like, we are living in the matrix. And we're not living in Agent Smith versus Neo. We're living in the conversation with the architect and, and Neo. That's what we're living in. And, and the sooner people realize that, you know, I have some people who get very depressed. I find it liberating. It means I can start poking with reality and messing with the fabric because I know all the rules and I can just change the story one variable at a time. I like what you said about, uh, well, just the ambitious stuff you were saying, where I always tell people, you know, if you like it and you're not stubborn, that's a huge one, too, if you could keep the ball rolling. And a lot of people say Ali's done or whoever's done. I don't have the time to do that. You know, where it's like <laughs> I, I could look at someone and have an opinion, but even my opinion doesn't really matter that much. Or it's like I'm too I'm too busy working. And if, if you're doing that, you don't have the that stuff. What's wrong with the ADL, man? Because they uh, they I guess you said you're a Zionist, super pro Israel. They called you anti-Semitic. Uh, they called I don't know if it was the ADL specifically, but they called Netanyahu's son anti-Semitic when he's like the leader of Israel's son and he's Jewish. It's just like they're they're destroying that term. And obviously yeah. they we they weaponize it against anybody who criticizes it. And my pitch kind of recently has been because I know there are the people that legitimately just really <laughs> actually hate. But it's like, guys, you're ruining not only the word, you're also pissing people off because some people just want to critique like you want to critique the GOP. You don't hate the GOP. You love the GOP. So there's a lot of people 
when it comes to Israel or Judaism that want to have a conversation. So it's like if they'll call you that and you're yeah. you're a you know a Zionist uh, according to your own accord, like where are they going with that type of stuff? And uh, I'm glad even you know Andrew Mayer. I know he's Jewish and he doesn't like everyone kind of sees it. So like how how do we stop these speech organizations and that one being you know. Uh, I don't know. They have to probably collapse on themselves. Like I'm not, I'm not one of these right wingers who says, I don't know how to even say this. Um, so there's a lot of right wingers who say like, it'll like, this is so weird. I do believe this and I don't believe it. So I'm just going to say it and then try to work through it. Um, intersectionality, intersectionalism will collapse on itself, but it also won't. So it will, in terms of, uh, of it will push some people out. It won't in terms of it will have a stopping point. It, at some point when someone's losing power, they will dilute principle in order to keep the power. So a lot of right-wingers think having the free Palestine people and then Jews funding the DNC are going to collapse on itself or having blacks and union. And, and what people don't, people see the worst in their enemy. And then they see stupidity in their enemy. I never make that mistake, ever, you know? And you saw this in 2008 when I was on the John McCain campaign. Our, you know, the, the base was either super racist or they, they, they had these two conspiracies. He's super evil and he's working with Marxists and communists or he's super dumb and super, we didn't say low IQ back then. That's kind of funny. But, you know, he's super dumb and he doesn't know anything. He's a state senator turned senator who ran for president 142 days after he was in office. And my opinion is that Obama's smart and intelligent and hates America because of what he sees as colonialism and imperialism. And he has a very academic left approach. And so I saw Obama accurately and I was ready to go to, you know, to figurative war with him. But so what, what happens is what I think to answer your question is I actually think the Jews will get kicked out of the Democrat party. Um, but it will stop there because so much of the funding comes from them. And I think I think if you look at the history of the, the Democrat Party, it's very different. The Republican Party is united by similar interest. And then they united around a couple of guys. Nixon and, and, and Reagan principally have have formed this this party that's that's um, similar in ideology. But the Democrat Party is not an ideological party at all. It is a party for power and and not, not enough people want to talk about power. There's like very few philosophers even who get into power. But but power in itself is a almost a guiding light, a guiding principle. And what happens is that the Democrat Party is a coalition party. So inherently black interest and union interest are always opposite. And too few people know that the labor movement was deeply, deeply anti-black. The labor movement start, you know, the our, 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 our teachers are unionist. So they teach us that unions were getting sprayed by fire hoses before black people and that they just wanted fair wages. And there's this kid in this coal mine and they're killing kids in coal mines. The labor union was more about keeping black work out after they weren't slaves. I mean, the labor union is about depriving blacks of the ability to earn the same wage as whites. And that's the main crux of the labor movement. Safety standards and all that other stuff came afterwards in order to keep the labor movement alive. And, you know, I'm a guy who's inherently, whose heart was left. My mom's a feminist. 
psychology. I've been going to master level psych courses since I was nine. You know, I grew up as a kid for eight years in Washington state, even though I was born in Texas and raised in Texas, but eight years in Washington state. So I'm like, I'm like, I can understand the left and everything's a lie. Feminism is not good. The labor movement's not good. All of these <laughs> things are an attempt that it feels like liberation, but it's actually rebellion against the rules. And so anyway, I don't, we're headed for somewhere bad. We're headed for somewhere violent. And the left won't look like it looks now, but they are winning and there's little hope of actually beating them. They have the technology, they have the weapons, they have the government, they have the appetite. We have blinders, we don't have the money, we don't have the weapons. We don't, you know, it's just delusional thinking like we've got the guns, that civil war will be over in, in two seconds. It's like, okay, they've got a military, guns, no principles, not answering to God, bombs. What are you talking about? <laughs> like, you know, um, I want to, I want to, yeah. I want to see a few things. First off with there, leftists always say to me and like, even maybe you would say like, they're like, yo, you're never going to beat the military. You're never going to beat the police. But I've always thought, I mean, most police are more right-wing conservative. And I think the military is more right-wing conservative. Do you think that they'd ever be able to get police and military to go against conservatives? I don't think so. Yeah, that's a good question. I don't I don't think that the police, one, I don't think the police will exist because inherently they'll go protect their family in a time of strife. So there won't be police. Secondly, it's hard to believe that any mayor would be in charge. It would be national edicts that would rely on the media. The president would only be as powerful or a general would only be as powerful. Well, that's as what I'm the, saying is that the yeah. military, I, I don't think the military and the police could ever get weaponized against white right-wingers and conservatives because I think most police then, like even now, they keep going further and further right because if you serve in the police, I feel like liberals and progressives are so crazy now that they keep taking away your rights and they, even out here, they it's like if you're the criminal or you're the, I won't say the criminal, but like say like homeless, it's like their immunity. They could commit a crime and it's, so police are getting more and more unhinged. And I think the military has always been more right wing. So that's where I disagree. Even with like, they're always like, dude, you're never going to beat the police in the military. So we're not going to have to. And I, I don't think it's going to get to that point. But to agree with you actually on something is um, the left has a lot of technology. They have Twitter, Facebook, uh, Google, which are ridiculously powerful. I'm sure you know with the internet and they have artificial intelligence as a Elon Musk said it's like a coalition or something between humans and AI. So they have all these things. They're looking, they're trying as hard as they can to uh, win at all costs. Yeah. And it seems like it won't budge an inch if you, they're wrong about almost everything. I say, I want to get into some right-wing critiques and stuff too. I know you're cool with that, but it's like, I'm not trying to be like, oh, left. Yeah, it's both. There's both bad flaws, but like the left is virtually wrong about like almost right. everything. And if you move it, right. like you move an inch on the Republicans, they're like, ah, and they'll do it. If you try to move left or move right an inch, ah, like it's the they're the yeah. craziest people. They they freak out like you're murder. They'll murder ten million babies, and then if you try to like save a life, that they'll act like you're doing it. It's ridiculous uh, tactics. I wanted to ask, yeah. I guess, two questions. I got a little lost, but um. With McCain, I know a lot of people, you know, when they were running, people, right-wingers like McCain, now a lot of right-wingers seem like they don't. Um, do you think he would have been very similar to Obama in his war path and also politics? Or do you think he would have been more conservative domestically? And then I want to, yeah, I'll, we'll start with that. I think 
that McCain, man, this is gonna get I, you know, it's so funny because like I haven't weighed in at all. Um uh, but this is interesting. This is like an interesting question. I think yeah, that if McCain, you worked on it, you don't have to throw it under your team. No, under yeah, I think, yeah. I mean, would he be on? I, I'll, I'm going to tell you this. I am naturally a war hawk. Um, and which is interesting is like I, I do this whole periscope where I describe what uh, a neocon is versus a war hawk. And so like in the traditional sense, I'm not a, I'm not afraid of war as a policy. I actually think that war has brought us more things than peace. I think that war, I think that peace is a byproduct of war. So like we get it, that's a whole theory and it, it, whatever. But so I think that McCain would have intervened in Iran during the Green Revolution. I think that that was the right choice. I think that um, that that McCain also would have implemented what you're seeing, what you saw Mattis and um, and um, Trump do uh, with the containment strategy with ISIS. And uh, but this was pre-ISIS. So I think that McCain would have had a lot more success in Afghanistan and in Iraq, which Obama, I mean, quite frankly, made that situation worse than anyone could imagine. Like, it just like, you you have to choose, are, am I gonna pump the brake or am I gonna pump the gas? When, you, when you're doing this jerking motion, you are creating more terrorists and you're destabilizing the state and people are hating us and yeah. there's low morale and fewer people sign up for the military and people are getting killed. So like what Obama did, was murderous. He's like what he is the worst president if or the second worst president in American history. And I'm always gonna have a grudge against that bastard. But like, but domestically, John McCain would have been further right instinctually than than uh than Trump. Um, like uh, John McCain was vastly, vastly pro-life. Um, John McCain uh was opposed to pork barrel spending. He's he pioneered the whole anti earmark space. There's nobody who's he he basically invented that. And so like some of what the Tea Party was born on, even though a lot a lot of my friends don't like they, the Tea Party didn't like John McCain. They saw him as establishment. But but that guy invent not invented. He pioneered a lot of this anti spending um, space. And and people don't understand that there's 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 um. In, in taxation and revenue, there's like two different arguments. There's the traditional argument, which is that we ought to reduce, we ought to reduce um, our spending. And then there's this new argument since Reagan, very unpopular, even during Reagan, that says we need to cut spending. Mm. And it only became popular on the right during the Tea Party movement. People don't understand. Republicans have never been against spending. They've been, a, they've, they, you know, it, yeah. this is a very recent phenom. I have a question about McCain and Obama, and I don't truly know the answer. It truly is a question, yeah. but I, I have my suspicions. Do you think they met like, do you think Obama messed up the Middle East like by mistake? Because when I look at even this is why I'm not a huge McCain fan. I'm not going to like trash uh, his whole existence or anything, but um, he was really upset. <laughs> yeah. And I mean, not just as a human being, I'm not, I'm not that cold of a person anyway, but uh, you know, at, he was really mad at what Trump was doing in the Middle East. And what Trump did in, in Syria is he defunded the rebels. And I have friends in Syria. They pretty much said that the rebels were just terrorists themselves. That's what that's from the source. But, you know, in the news, they'll say they're just people we're paying. And if you look at the, the map, it's like they're fighting the leader of Syria, but they're also fighting ISIS. So it's like this three way war where we're funding in some cases, both sides, in some cases, one sides to fight two enemies. And ISIS was growing. 
And McCain was trashing, trashing Trump so hard on all this stuff. And what Trump did in Syria, you look at the map now, the caliphate is completely gone. The people of Syria are safer. And I understand that there, yeah, there's a proxy war between Iran and Russia. And honestly, I I feel part of what you're saying, because it's like, I'm not a weakling. I'm not like a leftist where it's like, do you fund the military? It's like, yeah, then we'll die. Like, obviously, you need the stronghold in some cases. But those regime change wars seem bad where it's like, do you think McCain would have done differently? Because part of me, it's like with the left and a lot of this stuff, part of me wants to think, oh, these people are so naive and they're foolish and they don't know what they're doing. And on the low levels, I think it's true. But on the high levels, I almost feel like they're purposely subverting everything where it's like if they could subvert the food industry, the medicine industry, you know, mainstream media, all this, the celebrity elite class and rap culture then what's going to stop them from purposely starting a war and just cr- like ruining not only the Middle East, but America too? I think it's both. I think that uh, Obama uh, was uh, ignorant and incompetent as to how things work, um, but he was evil in that he set up a system in which uh, uh, yeah. He tried to bend the ways of the world towards his academic understanding and, and goals of it. And that really, I'm like really trying. It's like, it's like, like I'm, uh, you know, I'm feeling well, a lot. It's of hard emotion. to know. It's hard to know. Like, are these people naive? Are they foolish? Like you said, did they just like think they were right? Like a lot of people, it's stubbornness and academia. But sometimes it makes me think I'm like, some of this stuff is so twisted where it's literally like loopy upside down world where I'm I'm even with the wars and stuff where part of me is like I reserve thought of like, you know, like maybe they're trying to do the right thing or also maybe they're doing the right thing and we're wrong. We're like they have right. to do these things because Russia, China and Iran really do want to crush us and we have to. Str- yeah, like I always keep a part of me where I'm, you know, I, I can't rule that out. I think if you ever rule anything out, you, you end up being wrong. But then it's like a lot of me feels like I'm like, man, like what were they even like? What was that over? What were they doing? Was it like they messed up and committed to the mess up and just crushed, crushed, crushed? But what Trump did seemed common sense to me. He's like, who are these people? Stop funding them. All of a sudden, ISIS disappears during Obama with Hillary Secretary of State. And even like McCain seemed like he was in on that little thing. He flew out to talk to the rebels. It's like what exactly were they doing to the point like we have the biggest military we have tracking everything you know we couldn't find isis like we didn't trump get a year they're all gone like (laughs) he said it and it happened it's because i think my thought is he actually tried to do it and all the others on the right even like you see the mitt romneys and mccain's now i know you have more i won't say skin in the game you've worked for him i'm i'm respectful like you and i want to bring up real quick you said that earlier. I love that where you're like, I disagree and I, I'm an activist, but I'm not, I don't like loomer people. Not that I like Laura, not to throw her under the bus, but like, no. uh, you know, I think it, there's different strategies. That's effective. She gets a lot of press and she gets her message out there. And also like my, my style is more like yours where it's like, I don't want these people to feel like I'm gunning for them. I want them to feel respected and be cool enough to talk to me. But at the same time, I'm doing what's right. And that's what it is. So I, I like that you said that. Uh, but yeah. with, with the Republicans and stuff like the Romneys and McCain's, I was never right wing anyway. Although now I think I probably would have leaned libertarian, obviously, before then, too. But I'm looking at them and I'm like, who is Mitt Romney? Like, who really was John McCain? Like, were they maybe some domestic things they would have done more conservative? But they say that Romney crafted um, 
part of Obamacare too. And then, so it's like McCain's in on the wars, Romney crafted Obamacare. I'm like, <laughs> how, how, how subverted did the, did the GOP get? I'm not, I'm not quite sure. Yeah, I think, think, I think, yeah, some, I try to be objective and Obama objectively hates America because while the green revolution was happening in Iran, uh, he, ref he not, he, he, re okay. One, there's a couple of things you can do in, uh, in intelligence and military is you can, so you start, so there's diplomacy, there's intelligence and there's military. And as president or anyone, you have those options. We were doing nothing diplomatically because we have no diplomatic status with Iran. So now you have intelligence and military. In intelligence, you have two different things you can do. You can either uh, stage a coup and, and very, very covertly uh, undermine a government, which the Green Revolution was largely organic. There were intelligence forces there, but from other countries mostly, ours were observing, they weren't agitating. And so we, so Obama did nothing there. And then you can do something like Syria, where you are arming, training, and subverting and running strategy. And Obama did nothing there. And what Ahmadinejad did was killed kids uh, during the Green Revolution. And so we didn't do anything. And then lastly, Obama didn't just come out and say, we stand for human rights. What they're doing in Iran is wrong. It is the most disgusting thing I have ever seen from the White House. It, he really, that was the first time I, I thought that Obama is not president. He really, like, it's, it's really hard for me to hold my tongue right now. It's the most <laughs> disgusting motherfucking thing I've ever seen in my life, to be quite frank, because people don't understand the power of that pulpit. When the president of the United States says that there's a moral atrocity, hundreds of millions of dollars move. People stop doing business. People, shady people and terrorists stop doing certain business so they don't get caught and they don't risk exposing their network. You save lives by simply speaking into a mic. The UN takes action. Even when they're voting against us, we can send humanitarian aid. People have no idea how evil it was that he was being told to say anything. And unlike every president, Democrat and Republican before him, he chose to let Persian Muslims die uh, in the streets so that the mullahs could keep control of Iran. It's some sick bastard shit. And I think it was Valerie Jarrett. And she's an evil, she's an evil, uh, gosh, C word. And uh, so anyway, but at that same time, man, Honduras had a president who had taken control of the country. The Supreme Court ruled that he had become a dictator, exceeded the powers of the Constitution, was illegally staying in office. And Obama stood with the president of Honduras. The dude is fucking evil. This happened in the same week. And so he's just evil. And then the Fidel Castro bullshit, man. You know, you remember when he's standing on the roof? It's like his last year in office, standing on the roof. And then you have Che Guevara in the background on a building. Yeah, I didn't see that. But <laughs> Obama, for sure, I think he had a, I mean, I don't know what he claims his religion is or what his religion truly is. I don't know. But in the world, I clearly you see like, certain Iran and like people like uh, Farrakhan here who said like you could tell he really likes Iran and he wants Iran to like do really well. I think Obama had an Iranian bias for sure. Yeah. Uh, definitely yeah. like a communist far left bias, obviously. Yeah. So he tended to gravitate towards all those leaders. But do you think it's by design? Because like I, I yeah. Obamacare, all that stuff 
for sure he was that's that he was on but even it seems like certain times when we have even right wing presidents where you know people call it the deep state you're seeing it now with trump whether you say it's intelligence communities the media complex like it does seem like somebody is leading us down the wrong path where it's almost seems diabolical on purpose because it's like even if we get our domestic policy there's always like a war agenda that seems to be almost bipartisan and my question is always I, you know now that i think about it it probably is a president we don't have a dictator because they're there for four or eight years that's why they call it the deep state and even congress now is becoming like the deep state because you can stay there 50 60 years if you're a bad leader that's the good and bad thing about our system. We can't really get stuff done because of that, but also we keep it moving and we don't have too much power, but there's communities and even the media, it's like they're this unchecked, untouchable force that could constantly control it. And I'm starting to think now a lot of people point fingers and say, it's this, it's that, it's this. I'm thinking it's just like anybody with too much money, power, control that you can't get rid of, it's going to happen like that until they get held accountable in some way. So like with the wars and stuff, I'm not sure if it's, directly nefarious like they're like purposely kill and murder those people it could be that i think that but i also think now just thinking about it that it could be like people that just have had power for decades and when trump gets in they're like listen to me when obama gets in they're like do this and i think he yeah. did it but then he also was like eh, like he'd make little moves when he could and then like that's what trump yeah. does too like he'll make a move and then yeah. be like eh. it's like the, yeah. all of our presidents are on the defense of like the deep state yeah I, I don't like I don't know if there's some secret cabal, but I have this this theory that I've shared with my audience called interests and incentives, because it's like I don't I don't have to worry about conspiracy theories. I just have to look at is is, you know, what is this person's interest or what is this group's interest? And then are they what are they incentivized to do? And what you will find out is the more power, the more money, the more whatever you have the more you're incentivized to do grander scale things. So like, for example, like I'm interested in free thought and expanding my audience. So when you send me an invite, I'm incentivized to come on, whether, you know, you know, whatever time it is or whether my setup is right or not, like I'm incentivized to do it. So that's what I do now is, is and then there's a thing you can do in networking. It's called power mapping. And that's what makes me like really successful is I power map really well you identify who the deciders are, who influences the deciders, and then you work from there to uh, persuade people. Mm. Um, and mm. so that's like why I'm like really successful. Like, like I'm probably the most successful lobbyist who's a not lobbyist. Like I'm not a registered lobbyist. They catch me, but I influence public policy a lot. And, and you know, but anyway, what, what I was going to say is, is that, Obama, there's another famous photo of Obama where he's walking to Air Force One and he has a book in his hand and he has his finger in the middle of it and he's walking where the press can take a picture of the photo. One thing we know is that Obama is next level with, with signals and emboldening his base while using, I'm going to just say it, his tan card because he's not black. His tan card is African, but he's not black. And, um, and, you know, Africans don't call themselves black. So it's like, he's not black. Um, he's white and African, you know, but he's not black. But anyway, he, he carried a book that was like a post-colonial book. And it's about, it's about doing away with America. And he was able to do that because he knew he was under uh, no scrutiny from the media that right-wingers would sound like conspiracists attacking him. And so 
Trump has kind of refined this and retooled it for himself. Whereas if he says crazy stuff every week, then nothing is crazy. Mm. Trump cannot stop being crazy. He has to be crazy. He's incentivized to be crazy. He's on a train. He started that he can't stop. He's the opposite of what Obama is in a lot of ways. So, so anyway, what, what, what Obama, what Ilhan Omar want to do is they want to punish America for its sins. Whereas what I believe AOC and even like Rashida, you know, a lot of people want to lump the Muslims in together. I don't, I don't see the purpose in that. I don't see Rashida as somebody who is conducting a strategic jihad on this country like I do with Ilhan Omar. But, but what I do see is that crypto Marxist type of thing is they're trying to remake society. Obama and Ilhan Omar are trying to punish America till it breaks. And the benefactor is going to be uh, largely China, some Russia. And you know that's why Syria and Iran want to happen because they can control their regions without us without us. And so what you see is there's just this hodgepodge of power, dude. And what McCain wanted, McCain was also an ass to uh, George W. Bush. So it's just McCain's MO that if a president's not listening to him, he knows how to be the biggest pain in your ass. Like there's nobody better than John McCain at it because he's so institutional. And he's been institutional longer than anyone than Joe Biden. Joe Biden got into the Senate before the law changed. So, so, so Joe Biden, you know, was able to run for president. He lost his wife. He was very popular in the country. Um, like, like Joe Biden's been Joe Biden's been on the wrong side of history every time, except for maybe Iraq. He was the one guy who posed a crazy idea of splitting Iraq into three, which it turns out he probably was right. But we all said he was wrong at the time. But so John McCain's like that. He has more institutional power than anyone. He knows every general, he, he, the late John McCain, he knew every general, he knew everyone. He approved of who did what. Him and John Kerry teamed up to do some Vietnam stuff right after Vietnam. There's no one more powerful than John McCain was in that kind of, in that kind of arena. So, so I just say like he wasn't like on the side of the terrorists because everyone's a terrorist over there. And I'll end with this. I'll end like this little diatribe with this is, when I was in high school, we went to Iraq, 2003. I graduated high school in 2004. And there was this popular thing going around in academia where college professors were calling the founding fathers terrorists. And they're like, you know, you know, don't call them terrorists when we were terrorists. We were all terrorists. I'm like, okay, well, if we're terrorists and they're terrorists, then what's your problem? You know, but anyway, and what happens is like the more you study, and I'm saying this with all due respect, I don't want conservatives to get mad at me. You know, quite frankly, I'm probably more right wing than anyone who would criticize me on the right. But like, our founding fathers were engaged in guerrilla tactics. That's what I'm going to say. I'm not going to. I'm not going to call them the T word. But you know, um, um, I just started thinking about trannies. Um, but no, like, um, you know, they weren't. They weren't terrorists. But like, they did engage in guerrilla warfare because someone has to explain to me what is tar and feathering except for political terrorism. You know, what is, that's, not only is it terrorism, but it's torture. You know, tar and feathering someone is torture. Um, they were also engaged in, like, tactics where they would um, not make themselves known and then, you know, uh, stop supply routes. That is a form of terrorism. So what I will say is everybody in the Middle East is a terrorist. When, when you don't belong to a nation state, you're a terrorist. When you're an underdog and unmanned, you will engage in terrorism. 
So the left was actually a little right in in what we were what we and the right were doing is we were making terrorism a thing. It is a noun, but we were making it a uh, I forgot. We were making it something else. Whereas the left was like terrorism is a tactic. It turns out the left was actually right. Terrorism is a tactic. And so John McCain was helping a, a militia is what we would call it over here that was aligned with interests that he could do that that he thought would help America long term and that we could take them out if if they if they were bad. And that's actually not a bad way of looking at things. Trump was right, John McCain was wrong, but both sides got to cling to what they want. And 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 I don't think either side is evil for it, except for Obama. Totally evil. Chaos is evil. Have a strategy and then see it through. Yeah, I got you. Uh, you're saying like the founding fathers were terrorists. I think that's the same logic that people like Ilhan and even a lot of leftists, most of them, like I, I talk to people and they legitimately want to see the United States of America fall to the ground because they feel bad for what we did a couple hundred years ago. And yeah. that's the same That's the same logic the left's operating out of. So you're kind of justifying it away where it's like if, if our founding fathers were terrorists, then any sort of terrorist attack on us is just you know, what they want to do and any anything anyone does is okay because of that. It's, uh, I mean, part of it is true where it's like every country pretty much at a certain point was engaged in either warfare or yeah. some sort of con conquering. Um, but also with the, I know you're saying, you know, you're not a conspiracy theorist and um, I put the deep state in parenthesis or like not print, is that print or quotation marks? Um, yeah. I put it in quotation marks because uh, I don't like to use that term because to get labeled a conspiracy theorist, Trump's used it. A lot of like Republican leaders have. When I say, yeah. you know, there's power factions that are over the United States, it's not even a theory. It's a fact where in, yeah, you know, in, in uh, like the intelligence community, CIA, uh, FBI, all that stuff, they're kind of like they don't really have nobody's electing them. They're just always there. The media, I mean, when it's five or six corporations and almost one now once they get rid of fox news they might as well just be one singular corporation it's like yeah. a power structure that no one really asked for that you've almost can't get away from and then also you have uh other countries and influences where like my thought is um you know i don't know him personally and i don't have too much skin in the game but from obama to mccain uh you know i think if mccain would have went through it there might have been more conservative domestic policies just my thought but I think the war still would have gone because I I don't personally think that any of these politicians really have that much power. That's why even Obama, there's still things he was he was rolling the ball on because it's like he, even as much as he could try to maybe subvert the American agenda. Yeah, I, I feel like we're so far out of power. That's one of my favorite things about Trump is I think he's legitimately an American citizen who loves the country. And I'm I'm not sure like in and even like when I look at liberals and even like the Mitt Romney's and stuff like I don't, I don't know if it's this nefarious thing where they're working for another thing, just destroying America. But it's like they're so detached from reality, maybe because of incentivization to do awful things or incentivization for money or just like, you know, I know people that have a lot of money where, you know, they'll tell me their life story. And it's like, I don't, I'm not held accountable for anything. So, you know, it's like, I don't live the same reality you do until something really, really bad happens. It doesn't affect me. I have unlimited money. I have resources, rehab, you know, that's kind of like the, maybe the power trip these politicians are on where I'm not, I don't think they were necessarily bad people, but the, the way McCain spoke to Trump, the, the, all, the way that all politicians in unison lie about 
so much stuff when it comes to Donald Trump. Like they can't admit that his strategy worked and that his it, it was common sense stuff. It makes me think that it's more than just uh, you know a mistake or trying to do the right thing. I would honestly, I think Obama pushed us further than we would have gone as far as chaos and disorder and war. But I'm not so sure that Romney or McCain wouldn't have kept those wheels churning just just from the looks of it, because it's not like McCain was like, hey, I appreciate your strategy. He's flying out to talk to the rebels to literally like to me, it's like, dude, at what like is he to, is that really American? I know he's he stood in war, but to fly out to talk to rebels who, you know, my friends in Syria say are pretty much just jihadi terrorists. And uh, at best, the media will say that they're people who've used chemical attacks before, but they're great people, I'm sure, fighting ISIS and fighting Assad at the same time. It's like, at what, at what point does that not become cool? Because tr like Trump's the president. He actually yeah. made that region better and made it safer for us. And then you have John McCain, a Republican, flying out to speak to people that Trump's trying to cut funny to. Like, that's that's the deep state I'm talking about. It's like, dude, you're not in office. You have no position of power and you're flying out and trying to subvert our, our president's plans. Yeah, there's a there, you know, Seb Gorka calls it the permanent state, which I like better than the deep state. But, you know, you know, there are institutional powers in this country. I don't think and it, I don't think it's designed and I don't think that it was um, on purpose. I think it came about. And what happens is like, I'm going to tell you, dude, you could be elected president tomorrow or you could be elected, you know, king of the right wing. And then you put me and Cerno and other people you trust maybe around you. And if six of the people you trust tell you you're wrong about an issue, dude, you're going to go with us 9.5% of 9.5 out of 10 times. That's human nature. And mm. so you saw this with the bailout. It was against conservatism. But George Bush did it because if 100% of your advisors tell you to do something, it would actually be crazy for you not to listen to them. So well, what no, that's, what I, I just yeah. want, I'm going to let you finish that. That's exactly what I'm talking about. We're like the, yeah. the intelligence that they're getting and also like the UN, it's been so bad where it's like either you guys are so far off the, and that's totally what it is. They're all around them being like, the UN said it, the, you know, the speech organization said it, the media said it, like all your intelligence agents said it, but then it's like, yeah. Why are they all lying? Why are they all so wrong so often? Like, is it a mistake? Yeah. Is it a bigger picture we don't know? Or are is it like at a point where, you know, someone like Tr Trump was like, I don't agree with them. And they're like, you agree with Putin? He was like, on this topic? Yeah, I do. You know, it's yeah. like, is that is that so crazy? It's like the climate change science. It's like 97% of scientists agree. Well, who yeah. are they? You know, it's that type of stuff. It, I feel like we're living in upside down world. And it's like Trump yeah. to me is the only one that kind of makes sense. Yeah, it's, we're living in science fiction now. And, and what's sad is that is that when Trump is gone, it's going to be the death of a breed of a certain type of executive. And that's the executive who says, no, these are the facts. No. And it's not a, it is it is crazy to say no to that much advice, you know, but it isn't when you realize you can change the underlying facts. And that's the powerful thing about Trump. And what I will say this. I got like a couple things to, to say. One, Valerie Jarrett was running that uh, the Obama administration. Obama wasn't. He was a figurehead who had goals, but uh, Obama did not run his administration and not remotely to the level that other modern presidents have. And those other modern presidents barely ran their own administrations. But Obama is 
ran his administration the least. Obama read the most books. Obama went to sleep the earliest, woke up the latest. Uh, he He's good to go. Uh, Valerie Jarrett ran the government, and that's why she lives with the Obamas still. And uh, uh, another thing is that uh, Romney care. So in Massachusetts, they were going to pass some type of health care reform that was really liberal. Democrats and Republicans, or Democrats controlled uh, their state house or both state cha uh, chambers and both chambers of the state house. So when Romney was governor and he was a liberal Republican governor, he sought the help of the Heritage Foundation, which is a right wing conservative, you know, think tank, the preeminent conservative think tank in the country. And and Heritage Foundation worked with the Romney governor uh, governorship to construct the individual mandate, believing that it had a hint of conservative to conservatism in it because it had personal responsibility, which is which is one of the tenets of, of, of Reagan. And so what I will say is they were wrong because what they sought to do was moderate a principle. And now what it turns out is you can't moderate a principle. That's what I've learned in my study of everything now is you either ditch the principle or you lean into it. The, mm. the hodgepodge of in between, you get the worst of both ends. And so I don't think that whatever... But what and then what Obama was doing is Obama wasn't running for president, much like Trump. He was running to push Hillary further left and then be a part of her administration. When he accidentally won, <laughs> you know, he had to he all he was doing was actually campaigning on something Harry Truman. So Harry Truman is what is the guy who wanted single payer care. So this is since the 1950s. And so Hillary thought, well, you get there by after I die. Obama's like, well, I'll talk about it now and then I'll move you left. And so there's always on the, in that party incrementalism and it's it's uh it's it's most championed by the late Ted Kennedy. He showed them that it worked. Our side has no equivalent at all. Republicans have no equivalent. So so what's funny is they have theory on their side. We don't have theory. And what I will tell you is that People like me are dangerous. People like Saul Alinsky are dangerous. People like Christopher Steele and the Steele dossier are dangerous. People like John Podesta, Sidney Blumenthal. The reason we're dangerous is because if there is no deep state, we know how to influence intelligence, Congress, media in the right order into which it becomes a self-fulfilling prophecy. So the Khashoggi thing was the most nefarious thing we've ever seen in this country as far as I'm... Well, not the most nefarious, but the second most nefarious thing we've ever seen in this country. That was someone... That was probably Qatar but and, and Turkey. But that was... Those people were trying to obliterate Saudi Arabia and our relationship with Saudi Arabia so mm. they could do away with the petrodollar so that China would become the superpower. The Khashoggi thing has nothing to do with the Middle East Nothing to do with journalism, nothing to do with terrorism, nothing to do with anything. It was all about the petrodollar and ruining our relationship with the crown prince. And I, knew, I knew that was a lie for multiple reasons. One, I looked at this dude's history and he's like, it's like he's got family members who knew Princess Di. He, he was giving bin Laden interviews. He worked for the Washington Post. And then they had Turkey's leader who they say persecutes the most journalists, they have him writing in the New York Post like he's uh, Albert Einstein. Like, hey, we got... It's like, it's so obvious that this was a setup. And I'm glad you so, said that about you and other political operatives because you really understand the psychology. And I think people listening are now 
looking at the inner workings. And I say, that's what the left's doing. And like you said, successfully, it's not a mistake. They know, how do you pass something when it's not popular? And it's crazy. Women, children, yeah. exploiting tra tragedies like the Khashoggi, like, if you're China and you, you're starting wars or I'm not saying they are now, but like you think they care about one person where like they do that and that can spur like it's not just like, oh, he's now this dude was a total, I think, an operative too of some sort the Khashoggi yeah. dude. But then it's like whoever, however it happened, you're saying it's like a whole petrodollar uh, power play. Yeah, that's that's my theory. Like and and, you know, I work like an intelligence official. I don't believe anything 100 percent. But what the evidence shows is what were the interests. Remember, I do interest and incentives. So who was incentivized to do this? Qatar, Yemen, Turkey. Um, who is uh, who? Who stands to gain from it? The interest. China, Yemen, Qatar, Turkey. Okay, so who can you incentivize to go against you? The media, Democrats. It was like so, and I've I've ran this thought experiment so many times that I can't come to any other conclusion. This and. It's funny because I don't even have to mention anything about Khashoggi, but what you know is absolutely true. He was probably a paid operative by the Muslim Brotherhood. Why was Turkey recording the Saudi embassy? Like you can record outside, but it sounds like Turkey has inside footage. Do you notice that we never saw the footage, but several senators saw it? Um, the, the president saw it and he even had to come down. Jared Kushner had to even come down on them. That means that Turkey had a camera inside the Saudi embassy, which violates international law, and they and no one can say anything about it. That's the problem. Is I'm the only one who can say anything about it because I'm not connected to it. But it, that's the beautiful thing is when you do something illegal, as long as you can use it for blackmail and someone did something more illegal, you no one can do it against you. And so what they needed to do, and I hope... Watch, watch the news for the next year or two. Some Saudi princes are going to magically die because what was happening in the House of Saud is there was a power play going on as a revenge for what the prince had done months earlier, a year earlier, with locking up some of his, his other folks. And um, I just want to tell you, Trump is the most... He's the world's savior. I don't know how else to put it. <laughs> There's never been a president who has played in more arenas internationally while also being limited in it and been more successful in it than him. He is, he is a phenom. It is not supposed to happen. This is, this is not reality. This is like, I don't know <laughs> theory, but, but like if I talk to you just for an hour, you like, you already see and observe stuff, but like, I know this world and this is impossible. Whatever's happening is impossible. Well, and he's he finessing is, like 30 yeah. different relationships because people are like, he's working with them. He's working. He's surrounded by them. It's like he's surrounded by everybody. He's surrounded yeah. by every powerful entity on the planet, in the country, yeah. you name it. And he's finessing everybody and coming out, like doing what he has to oh, do in God. Syria, not falling for the trap there because I... The, the thing that gave it away to me is just like Erwan or however you say his name from Turkey. He's almost yeah. unanimously on the left and the right. Like we know he's more of a dictator style authoritarian type leader. And he's writing in the Washington Post like a puff piece about his thoughts on it. Like like yeah. if we give Kim Jong-un an article, he's like, hey, like, yeah, we should start the war in Saudi Arabia. It's like, bro, Kim Jong-un, you're not my go to for uh, military <laughs> advice. <laughs> yeah, I you know it's it's weird and what's funny is like you said oh we killed the caliphate 
But we have to worry about the second caliphate, which is Turkey. And they're a lot more capable of, of executing it. And it's funny because, because I don't really agree with anyone on the Turkey thing. There's, a, there's just like nuances that I disagree with. But I also am not like, like obviously I'm more well-educated on the issue than most, but, but it's not my expertise because you start getting into, like the Turks and the Persians are lumped together with Arabs, but they're not Arabs. And, but anyway, everyone looks at it all the same. They say Middle East is full of Jews and Arabs, and it's a lot more diverse than that. And, but what I will tell you is that, and then you have two people with, with deep senses of history. The Persian people will claim credit for Alexander the Great, and then the Turks will claim credit for the Ottoman Empire. So here are two people who are itching. You know, they have like a thousand year itch right now. And they're like, we want back in the game. And we want, so you have to understand, the people want us dead more than ever before. And because they see a power vacuum in which they get part of the pie. So they're all, everyone's negotiating for our death right now. In fact, I think we're already dead. But like, Everyone's negotiating for our death. And the only thing everybody can agree on is that China's number one. Everyone's jockeying for geographical territory or number two. Um, Russia, what they're doing, I can't blame them, is they're trying to secure as much um, um, energy independence for themselves and then, and then have others energy independent on them because they realize that's how the, it's a cross between the Middle East and us. So what do you think is going to happen to us? Because you said we're dead. What do you What do you mean by that? What do you think? What, what do you think I our mean, our destiny? I don't know. I mean, I, I have like a couple working theories, but uh, the idea I I don't think that we have another thirty years left in us as a as a union. Um, and I'm going to be quite frank. Uh, I told myself I wouldn't start talking about this like 2020, um, because I could be under the radar while the presidential race is happening. But um. Because it used to be very, yet it used to be very unpopular to talk about the idea of a civil war. Like it was dangerous. Like I was telling you on the gun debate, we right wingers wouldn't even say what the reason it was. So like, but I I helped pioneer that space, and now I'm like moving on to the next territory, and that's I want to start talking about a peaceful divorce. What does that look like? So I'm gonna tell you, I don't I don't support I don't. Uh, it's hard for me to say that America is exceptional anymore because it seems to. Uh, it is the best country. I love America. There's nothing better than America. It ain't as good as the old America. That's a fact. And we are delivering children debt. We are delivering people into slavery. We are killing people. And we're not even doing it for good reasons. Like I said, I'm for war when it's a good reason. Right now, we're just throwing bodies into a pit. And I'm not for that. That's disgusting. And so I don't know what America looks like after this. I, I think like I have my exit plan <laughs> and my staying plan. And um, there's a reason why I don't live in DC anymore. And I live back where I was born in Texas and Texas has its own power grid. And, you know, when we were talking about the cops and the, and the, and the military is like one, I don't think there'll be any cops because blah, blah, blah. And then those who are left in the military will be people without families. And I'm not sure what those people are going to do. And I would, I would tell you to go look at the yellow vest movement. What, what's encouraging those cops to beat their citizens? It happens everywhere. History is not going to uh, be absent on the United States because of logic. Something happens in our human nature. And so what I will say is I'm prepared for a peaceful divorce of America where we divide into five different regions. I'm prepared for 
um, anarchy. I'm prepared for invasion. Uh, and I'm prepared to go actually live in a place with maybe less freedom if it means a little bit more chaos. Because ironically enough, chaos in America here would be worse than chaos in South America. And it sounds, it sounds unintuitive, but, but here would be hell. Going somewhere where they are used to having no AC and ruling by the gun, that's more predictable. The, the bribery that is the tradition of India and Pakistan and the Middle East works. Us decrying it because we're some white country is ignorant, you know? And so it's like, what, what, I, what I would say is that everyone should have an exit plan because I don't think, I, if I don't, I think that Trump is going to have a hard time getting reelected. And I think that the Democrat president is going to be further left of the Democrat party and the Democrat voters. And that's never happened in this country before. We're not ready for it. Um, it would be your track. Yeah, I'll agree with you there. I, I think that the whoever wins, I mean, Elizabeth Warren, a nationalist, someone was asking on Twitter, I'm having a whole video, I'll save it for later, but it means to love your country. Like that's the official def dictionary definition. You can call it what you want. It means to like ha put your country first. So she's saying she's going to persecute all white nationalists. That's like 100 million plus people in this country. She's not saying white ethno-state supremacists, which even then, free speech sort of thing, as long as they're not violent and stuff. I, I There's crazy people on the left I let slide. But I mean, it's going to be hell if the left wins. I, I don't disagree with you. I'm, I'm optimistic. And stuff, but if they win, that's what I, I'm trying to wake my friends up and I'm doing the best I can because I'm like, guys, this is not this weird, like, you, you, you know, trans utopia that you think it's going to be like, look at the yeah. world, look at China, look at Turkey, look at Iran, look at Russia, look at the fact that no one wants us to be number one. And we're like, number one, like dancing naked on a table. And, you know, like we're not, it's like we got to be a little bit wiser and stronger. So if the yeah. left wins, it's absolutely going to get weird. Like you said, best case scenario, peaceful divorce, which what I hope it could be would be more Trump-like energy, maybe somebody that's a little bit easier to, for the left to understand to get states' rights back. That was the what our country was founded right, on, United, right, right. United States of America. Texas isn't supposed to be like California, and uh, that's okay. But it's like the left, they take, take, take. Like you said, it, it is incrementalism, and I'm glad regardless of people – in the comments, they seem to be liking, but agree or disagree, just understand a little bit of the psychology and, you know, figure out that people are thinking on these steps. And it, it is true where, like I say, even with Trump there, it seems like we still lose ground. So if the left wins, they take a leap. If yeah, we really win, we lose ground. So it's like there's got it. That's why I tell my friends, guys, if you don't like Trump now, you're going to like cry, regret, wishing you could have him back because he's super chill. He's super liberal. And the next step is like either another Trump and people really wake up. Or if you look at history and follow trends, it's maybe a far left leader, whether it be in four or eight years or a year yeah. or five years. And then it's like either the complete shift of America, whether it be peaceful or God forbid, you know, violent in a sort. And then it's going to be someone probably way crazy. Like that's how you get a real Hitler is screw stuff up so bad make right. so many mistakes, get people very desperate and and ready to like, we can't have more subversion and invasion in our country as far as like the culture shifting. It's it first. I agree with you there. It's like, I don't know which way it's going to happen. I pray for the best. I work towards the best, but uh, I'd be lying if I said like the left can't win. And I, I, I mean, I, I'm not trying to say that in an anti-democracy way. Like, of course they can win and they might because they have all the institutions on their side 
and and Facebook right. and Google are working in overdrive. People don't understand. You got to work hard this next election and you got to be smart because they have everything and more. Um, but yeah, it's like, dude, they're so bad and it's so unaware. It's like how what else? Third trimester, mid-birth abortion, open borders, uh, singular government style healthcare, censorship, persecution of half the country off of race based things. Off. Like this is the Democratic Party. It's ridiculous. Yeah. yeah, it's America. So what I would say is if you think if you're skeptical of this stream, here's three things I would write down and I would just put this in your wallet is. You know, because I basically got till 2027 to prove myself right or wrong. And it might be 2026, but but here's what I'm tracking. I'm tracking the petrodollar, which um, if we go into a depression, that's my second. So the petrodollar, I would look, is there a Democrat who is willing to defend the petrodollar and our relationship with Saudi Arabia and OPEC? If OPEC ever gets control without Saudi Arabia, we are doomed. We are going to wake up one day, dude, and the dollar will be worth 50 cents and you will all feel it overnight. Mm. Every won't be able to buy anything. And no one understands that we're all in food deserts almost. Every city is something like two wait, maybe it's two days, but two weeks away from running out of complete food. And so people don't understand without our country running at a certain GDP, a lot like China, we're dead. Like millions of people start dying. It's not a joke. It's not an exaggeration. It's not like something will happen. They'll eat grass. People will start dying in this country and it won't even go report it. So I watch, I'm watching the petrodollar and what Democrats, what a Democrat president will say about that, which again, requires relationship with Saudi Arabia because they can control OPEC. It's so dependent on each other that we're nearly screwed. The only thing that could happen is fusion energy. And, and then maybe, you know, that realigns the world. But um, it's it certainly, um, it, we're certainly screwed if they ever put so much production out there that it, that it uh, screws with us and interferes with our ability to sell our stuff, our ability to consume at a sustainable rate. And, and people's ability to uh, buy barrels of oils with dollars, which, by the way, China just in the past six months is now buying it in their native currency. You know, Venezuela, which will eventually come back, is buying in their, in their, in their native, trying in their native currency. So people have to understand, we are in the last days of the petrodollar, like 60 to 70 percent probability. Secondly, is I want to say before you get to the second one, uh, we'll get to that because you brought up a really good point, and I noticed that too. Everyone's been saying we're running off the petrodollar, we're running off the petrodollar, and like, but yeah, we are. And I'm not saying we want to do a bunch of terrible things, but people don't realize, like, oh, if, if it gets off of that, like you said, in the wrong way, that's the end of our currency. So, as much yeah. as you hate it and you think that people are big bad people, consider the fact that you could wake up one day and all these complaints you have about socialism or universe. Like your your value could be worth 10 cents, 20 cents, 30 cents. And like you said, it's we have to figure out. I don't know if cryptocurrency is the answer, but like something because I've noticed that uh, China buying it in their own and also OPEC, there was a huge shift of cutter. Everybody's against us. Like yeah. you said, I'm glad you brought that up because no one really understands that.
Yeah, they don't. They really, they really, it's like in order, it's, it's so weird because I was like, why do I understand? It's like, I really feel like God gave me a gift because it's like to understand what's happening in the world, you have to understand what, what China's doing, their hundred year plan in relation to the Middle East. And like without understanding both of those things, you won't understand anything. But then you have to, that's one axis that goes like this, right? China, Middle East. But then if you understand the other axis, South America and Russia, you see the whole world. Europe has nothing to do with anything, nothing to do with a, a, a damn thing. Like white people failed. And like, I'm pro-white. I'm actively pro-white. White people gave us common law. God bless them. Thank, you know, not thank God for slavery, but you know, there's some added benefits that worked out. But like, like what I will say is that they're gone. You know, they, they're just gone. They wiped themselves out with postmodernism and feminism, which is more dangerous than radical Islam. And like, I get a lot of heat over that, but like the fact is, is that white people stopped white people from breeding. White people feminized their, their, their countries. White people mm. took away their, brown people did not do anything to white people. Um, Actually, they're, they're now, helping. It's Muslims in the UK yeah. who are stopping the subversion oh, yeah. of children. It's they're like, like guys, oh, I'm, I'm like white <laughs> Europeans and Christians. You guys got to get your shit together. It's Muslims yeah. helping you. It's ridiculous. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. So it's it's this fake intersectionalism that that Ilhan Omar and the rest are pretending to believe. So, all right. Secondly, is that if we if we if we reduce our GDP to the point where we actually we will have a recession, and that's natural. But if it if it curves into a depression because the Democrat comes and then they somehow get control of the Senate or the Senate compromises and we undo our tax reform and then they raise taxes to eat half half of what the, every Democrat wants, we will slow down this country in a way that will lead to a depression, which will lessen demand in India, Singapore, China, will grow them into a depression. The whole world will go into another depression, just like 2008. And this time we won't recover. You know, everyone, go ask anyone. Do you still remember 2008? Yeah. You, not even the Great Depression was like this. We, we are all so scared. The consumer confidence is all still so scared. That's, that's why savings is at a high. And spending hasn't returned to its normal level. So things are really, that's why I see Trump acting like a maniac, pumping up the economy, which he shouldn't do. But there really is no other choice without pumping it up. And they're supposed to decrease and pumping it up again. We have to get to a level of comfortability where we forget 2008 because the next recession will be a depression. The next depression will be a global depression and nothing will be left. I mean, it's going to be so bad for the rest of the world that the nations that have walled themselves off will be good. And then thirdly is that the next Democrat will put us in a war so they remain president and it's going to be reduced recruitment. People aren't going to want to go to it. They're going to lean on technology, more drones, just like Obama. And it's going to see a new evolution of warfare that we've not seen. And so what I will say is that um, these are the three things I'm tracking. If everybody else wants to track it, I, I give it till 2027. Right now, Trump is underwater in Pennsylvania and Florida. Right now, Trump, if he was, if there was a vote for president between him and uh, Joe Biden, Joe Biden would win. If it was him and Bernie Sanders, Bernie Sanders would win. Um, so like, I think he would beat Warren and Beto, but but like if a normal Democrat can keep together the blacks, the unions and the college educated, they've won. And it's just that simple. So I'm really I'm not scared, 
but I'm just watching everything happen. And, and the exit is Singapore, Beijing, Hong Kong. And that's where a lot of white money is already going. So everyone's hedging their bets. Didn't notice Google employees were against Dragonfly. Google stockholders were against Dragonfly. The United States Congress was against Dragonfly. Ask yourself, why would Google be wanting to make a deal with China when everyone was against it? And the fact is, everybody knows America's dead. And I know it. Why does Jared and Ivanka Kushner's children speak Mandarin? Why did Mark Zuckerberg's child, uh, uh, or they, yeah, they sing in Mandarin. They sing in Mandarin. And then Mark Zuckerberg offered President Xi uh, the, the opportunity to na name his child. I mean, I don't, I'm not a conspiracist. I'm simply telling y'all it's already happened. You know, why would, oh yeah. And one thing I want to correct you on is um, Fox News and Fox are two different companies. So Disney is not buying Fox News. That's a separate company. Yeah, they're buying they're Fox. Yeah, yeah, yeah. The movie yeah. studios and stuff, yeah? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Still, it's still a huge purchase, but yeah. I'm sure they had other, even Fox News now seems to be getting a little libby. Um, oh, yeah, totally they're Holy taking shit now. they're taking over everything i'm glad you came on and uh for people listening uh <laughs> this is what this whole podcast is about make america debate again not just debate but discuss and hear other ideas because one problem i find obviously on the left but even on the right is this echo chamber thought process where if you can't challenge your ideas and listen to other people then you might not be right and even i mean a lot of people really loved it they say great guest amazing but i, I always even with myself you know i see a lot of people not wanting to hear or disagreeing, which is fine. But if you listen to the same theories over and over, you, you think you're really onto something. But I, I listen to a lot and the more even specific groups and families, they're not as tight knit as people really think. Like they think it's like all where there is power, there is money, there are groups. But even in that group, there's power dynamic to it. You know, where it's like there's people yeah. who disagree. There's different theories and perspectives. So um, I, I just want people to consider that and also the information that we cover today from petrodollar to even you know theories <laughs> about fun. psychology and how leaders work it's very very real and uh, i think what you're talking about with china too it's trump is like trying to without trump we would already be zero percent chance but trump is yeah. like the you said none of this stuff even makes sense so uh i think as long as people really step up in this 2020 election i want to leave it with this and then give you one more thing I, I know a lot of people here just watch. Some people, you guys, I'm sure you have all sorts of different jobs, hobbies. Some people are more involved in politics. Some people just like to watch. But don't be cocky. Don't be confident because what Ali just told you is very real about that. He's a very data-driven guy. What I talk about all the time with Google, Facebook, like the, the amount of not only data but uh, power that they have on influence and, and minds is ridiculous. Like we're not, this is not an easy win. Trump did an amazing job. He got a lot of people involved and, and more fans for sure or supporters but like if you think this is over you're gonna lose that's what the democrats did in 2016 yeah. and they lost so if you are getting involved please stop sharing alexandria ocasio-cortez memes on loops making jokes like it's over it's not over there's a lot of democratic candidates and if we if this election goes to somebody that's far left it's going to be no joke. So I just want to say to people please because I see oh dumbly don't say that even Cernovich shouldn't do this that it's like people we're trying to get people awake because the right seems to be in many parts asleep with a it's over, it's a wrap, it's done. And that's that's not how you win elections. So I, I just want to at least listen, consider to everything as always. And 
please, if you want to win this election, don't just talk about winning. Um, make valid and smart moves like, you know, that will that will help. Yeah. Well, I, I appreciate you having me on. I was I was talking with my creative director, Jesse, and I was like, this is cool. I'm going on the uh, the heartthrob sex symbols of, of the uh, free thinking movement. So it's like, is that nice what I am? I don't I don't get enough DMs to to solidify oh, that. Yeah. But. All right. Well, other people exchange your DMs about you, so I'll. I'll uh, Why I'll don't they hit me? It's like everybody, everybody <laughs> says except hey, for hit me. Hit him up, folks. So I think. Uh, no, that's very cool, and I think. Um, not not yeah, guys. I mean, guys get me up too, but sometimes they're like, "You cute." I was like, "It's not that time. I don't, I'm not. I'm not that way." <laughs> yeah, I. Uh, I. Uh, no, it's 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 really fun to see like the space uh, evolving, and I appreciate you having me on and. Uh, talk about some of these issues. What I what I what I'm passionate about is not just even saving the republic or Western civilization. I think that we're like we are really at a crossroads where we have to choose to save civilization in general, and we might actually even be at a crossroads above that to save the species. Like we could be approaching a singularity with pocket nukes, dirty bombs, or the choice to inoculate ourselves from the the uh, the violent gene whenever we discover what that is which turns us in a brave new world or the giver. And like, I really like, I'm not, I am a pessimist, but like I am data driven. And I would just encourage people to go where the data uh, uh, leads you because it may be what actually saves you and your family in a time of crisis. You, what might make the difference of you living and your daughter living or your lover living might be whether you see something a week ahead of time and you can get somewhere else. So I just want to encourage people like, I'm not that guy. I was never an Alex Jones guy. I was never a prepper guy. I was never a, you know, deep state guy. Uh, what I will tell you as a guy on the inside is I am alarmed and I am trying to wake as many people up as I can. And, uh, you know, go out like you want. I want to That's say it. too, you brought up culture with three T's. You guys are doing amazing work. I wanted to ask what your role is in that because it's uh, you guys are crushing it on on social media. I love the formatting, the everything about it, the the style of clips, the ones you choose. Good, good job. Yeah, thanks. I think um, uh, you know, I don't want to give too much of the business plan away, but you know, I'm a big fan. I, I, I you know, I, I read the Bible, but but um, but I uh, and I think it's the wisest book, but but the the most the, the wisest book, the book I most recommend to everyone is The Art of War. Sun Tzu in there has zero errors. Zero errors. It's the most potent book I've ever read, period. And, and I started thinking that modern day strategists and even war theorists and political theorists, we don't actually think of, and I consider myself that, I, we don't think of morale. And so I started thinking about morale in June of last year. And then in November and December, it came to me through inspiration of a couple of friends and then in a dream. And I figured out how to close the morale loop. And because actually some of your, some of your itching may have been a part of it in that I've seen you on Twitter a couple of times be like, you know, you know, I produce this, this is high quality, this is this. If the right's not going to support it, you know, F them or whatever. And, you know, this is, 
<laughs> well, this no, is I, like... I'm, I'm writing my I'm writing my story because they they said I'm a self-proclaimed hip hop artist and a white nationalist. So I was like, if that's what people see on Google, now I got to write my own history. I'm like, here's what yeah. I've done. I'm simply doing it for self-preservation and like historical context. They'll go to my Twitter yeah. and be like, oh, he wasn't a white nationalist. Like, it's like, but nah, it is I... true though, like that none of us who are on the front lines um, make enough money, get enough tension you're not even getting enough dms i'm getting more than my fair share but like <laughs> i'm getting way more than i deserve but but like um but like what I, what i will say is is that so what i'm trying to do with culture i'm like really hesitant to talk about this but i'm closing the morale the morale loop is like to keep guys like you around if we if if we have to wait for monetization true monetization then what i can do is i can give you guys vanity in the meantime. And so that's what I'm doing. I mean, quite, you know, culture with three tweets.com is I want the good guys to stay at the forefront. And quite frankly, I don't want Ben Shapiro running my movement anymore. And so, <laughs> so like, so like I would rather, I would rather people like you and Mike Cernovich and even Will Chamberlain know that they're loved and know that they're making a difference and that there are people who watch them. And I also thought that the movement, I don't know what we are, like we're free thinkers, but our movement or whatever it is or isn't needed a homepage. It needed a place where people working nine to five could get the digest of our lives. It's like, you're a rapper. You're not just doing politics. Mike is an awesome dad. You know, Will Chamberlain is a big brain. Uh, uh, Jack Posopic is a devoted Christian. Um, like these are things that people need to know about us. And so instead of spreading your ideas, I would rather spread your humanity. And so, yeah, I think I might have built Nike though with that three T's, how it comes in like that. Like, you know, me and Carpe Donkton worked together on that. And, um, and I, you know, I think we created Nike for, for this. And, and I'll tell you this, if everyone thinks I'm building a, a, a media company, they're wrong. So anyway, I created culture, but my technical title is I'm the editorial consultant because my goal was to be on the project for 90 days and to get out. We're at day like 100, 101. And um, in a couple of days, I'll be voted in as, as publisher. And so I'll be on a more permanent basis. My goal is to create something and give it to my friends and then hold a small stake of the company. But it's, it's really evolved. It's, it's evolved way faster than any of us could dream. And, you know, we have new shows coming with Joy, Joy Villa, uh, Fleckus, Pardis. And uh, we're just building a company of free thinkers. And like, I don't tell anybody what to say. And um, and uh, I'm there to teach. I'm there to monetize us, monetize them, create synergy where it makes sense, help my friends um, pull together for cost. So we were the photographers for three events at CPAC. And so like I'm teaching people what I know about business and uh, influence marketing. Awesome. Well, thanks for coming, Ali. Thank you guys for sharing in, um, a lot of my posts and stuff. And thank you for questioning the narrative and really giving a lot of people a lot of stuff to think about. Make America debate again. God bless you. God bless America. God bless your family and God bless the world. Thanks for joining and check out Ali at Twitter at ALI, right? It's just that? Yeah. That's yeah. It. And then you can find his other stuff on there. All right. See you guys. Yeah.